Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. We're rolling along. Summer is whizzing by, but it's good times. We're having a good one. That's right. This is coming out. We're recording this at the end of July, but it's coming out in early August. And I got to tell you, yeah, July just went by with just a blink, I feel like, which is partially the 50 hours of driving to get out to Nationals and Quebec single track, but well worth it, I would say. Sure. And we're, I guess I uh, just did my rest week it took a little down week not a lot of structure still rode a little bit of bike since did coaching you know obviously that does, work doesn't stop uh but yeah it was nice back to a bit of running back to more walking i was tracking some steps to see sort of where my daily activity was Yes, and then last night, he's like, so which distance are you doing for this Cremor vertical challenge? That's right, and I may have challenged Molly to a 75K How would you race. feel about racing me? So, game on, Glassford, game on. Uh, but in the meantime, I mean, it is August, and you know what that means. Time for hashtag cross is coming. Cyclocross season is almost upon us despite the fact that it is still very much summer but we've actually seen an uptick in both custom plans and then our pre-made training plans that are a little bit more cyclocross oriented especially you know what if you're in canada you really are about three months out from cyclocross nationals at this point uh yeah that could be true i'm not sure how those months add up but certainly the curiosity around cross i have my first cross sessions coming up in a week or two if not sooner uh yeah no definitely talk about that and running different races and certainly i've had maybe three or four plans now come out where i'm starting to put you know cyclocross base period and uh building that in for sure it absolutely is three months till nationals you have august september and then it's usually in late october like i said I i don't know how those months add up but maybe that's true math Yeah. Uh, And actually, cyclocross, I mean, those of you who've been listening to this show for a long time or have known me before the show, you know, cyclocross is so near and dear to my heart. It was kind of my my main thing in cycling. And actually, that's why I'm super excited about today's guest. We have Namrita Brooke and... She and I met not at a cyclocross race, but we go way back to Southern Cross, a, I'm going to say one of the OG gravel races in the U.S. Uh, down in Georgia. I've known her longer than I've known Peter, um, and she is a registered dietitian. She's got her PhD. She is now doing a lot of endurance coaching, uh, especially with more runners, multi-sport athletes, and of course, cyclists. Uh, and she and I had such a great conversation around sort of some of the more nuanced topics of nutrition for athletes. So if you tuned in last week and you heard our sort of very basic in like in and around workout nutrition, which we felt like it was sort of time for that refresher. It sometimes feels like we hear so much nuance that we forget the big rocks. Um, but this is sort of covering some of those things that we alluded to, but didn't really go overly into talking power to weight, talking about can you balance weight loss with training? Should you balance weight loss with training? And uh, sadly for cyclocross season, everyone's uh, least favorite topic is alcohol good for athletes. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to give any spoilers here. You're just going to have to listen to the episode. Uh, but yeah, I was so happy to have her on. And I think she, she brought so much expertise to this topic and she's such an accomplished athlete herself and comes at it as now a busy mom who's also still working, still training and, 
you know, we talk about how that's shifted her her goals. And I think it's just it's such a fun conversation. And I took a lot out of it. So hopefully, hopefully you will too. So let's keep this intro short. Let's get into this conversation with Namrita Brooke. Enjoy. Namrita, I am so excited to have you finally on the Consummate Athlete podcast. I can't believe it's I, I can't believe it's been this long podcasting without having you on and that it's been this long since I've seen you, although you haven't changed like a bit in 12 years. So no, neither have you, (laughs) neither have you. That's like the benefit of like staying active. Right. And just, yeah, loving life, running, cycling, all the things you do. It's true. Also, I have bangs, so they cover all the wrinkles on my forehead. But uh... <laughs> oh, I should do that. Yeah, I know. That is, yeah. I look in the mirror sometimes and I'm like, oh, I am, yeah, 40 something. Yeah, wait, how did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> time, time flies. So when last I saw you, we were at Southern Cross, which is still one of my like favorite you know, gravel before gravel was cool races. Like, let's just shout that out for a second here. It's so funny to think about. And I hate, like, I feel like when I bring that up, I sound like one of those like old school people that I'm like, oh, gravel, we used to race on our mountain bikes or cyclocross bikes or whatever, but it's true. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. And that was years ago. So that was, you know, you were, you're racing then what's, what is your sort of athletic background slash like where you are now? Like, how did this, yeah. Yeah. So I guess sort of similar to you. Um, I know you were like heavily into cyclocross when we mm-hmm. met. Um, but yeah, my primary athletic background is off-road racing. Um, so endurance mountain biking was kind of my favorite thing. And then sort of like, I don't even want to call it gravel, but we used to ride, you know, a lot of dirt roads and long climbs in the mountains on our um, mountain bikes off-road triathlon. I got super into that for a little while and, um, discovered that I really am not good at swimming. So kind of moved over to duathlon. I just kind of gave up on the swimming piece, although it was, you know, super fun. Um, duathlon, endurance running, like trail running and stuff, and then some cyclocross. So I just love, 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 and still do just being out in the woods on trails and, Yeah, it's like the perfect combination of exercise and fun and just like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think, yeah, (laughs) we have very, very similar, I'd say, trajectories with all of the the off-road stuff for sure. Although you're definitely better on the mountain bike than I will ever, ever be. (laughs) I I keep coming to Florida and working on those skills. I actually, you know, I sold my mountain bike when I moved here um, to Florida and it might take me a few minutes to get back my skills. We'll see. But yeah, once you have them, you have them. <laughs> and actually, you know what? You are right. When we were there, it actually like I felt so much better on the bike after even just a couple of rides because for the first time in a long time, it was it's all flat. So I could actually focus on dealing with the rocks and the roots and figuring them out without all of the climbing and descending. So I think it was a really good like training ground for me. Yeah. For you know, sure. it's funny. Um I haven't been like up to Pisgah or, I mean, I used to love riding up there and just like really love technical riding. And I haven't done that since I've had kids and I will probably talk about kids later, but I am interested to see, it's not like I'm afraid, but I wonder if like, I've heard from some other moms who ride bikes too, you know, they're, they're a little bit less not adventurous, but like a little more cautious maybe. Mm -hmm. And like what the ramifications might be if you do crash, because before, like 
yeah, it would suck. It, you know, it would hurt, whatever. But like now I just think about all the things I have to do. And if, if I'm injured, that would be a nightmare. So yeah, anyway. actually, as I recall, like, yeah, I think last time I saw you, you might've actually had a, uh, a sling on cause you'd broken your collarbone, <laughs> but that was on the road to be fair that's <laughs> and true. not my fault. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's your athletic background, but yeah. you also have a PhD. You're an RD. What's the academic journey been like? And I mean, a career journey been like, not just academic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I started racing, I worked in software consulting, so nothing related, but I would, um, my office backed up to some really good trails, um, just outside of Atlanta. And so I taught myself how to mountain bike. I would go for like long trail runs on my lunch break. And I was like, you know what? I want to do something different with my life, something that's more meaningful. And at that point, like, I mean, I, I have a science background, so I was, you know, I didn't know a lot about training and nutrition. And I was like, this is an opportunity. I think, you know, I didn't know very many sports nutritionists at that point. And it seemed like the nutrition career path was heavily clinical. So a lot of, you know, hospital work, um, anyway, clinical dietetics. And so I, I was thinking that there might be an opportunity to make a career for myself in the world of sports nutrition. So I decided to just quit my job, go back to school, studied nutrition, um, became a registered dietitian, started working in sports nutrition, got connected with exercise physiology at Georgia Tech, had several um, of my mentors, you know, encouraged me to pursue my doctorate there in exercise physiology. So yeah, that's kind of what I did. And um, wasn't sure if I wanted to go into industry or academia, but I think I, um, you know, I just kind of followed what I enjoyed doing and my passion for coaching and working with people and making a difference. Um, and so I, you know, while I love research, I really love being able to work with athletes to apply it. Um, there's a Mm -hmm. lot of people doing some really fantastic research and I still kind of have my foot in there helping out other research groups, but I just love coaching. It's fun to, you know, to get to know individual athletes and use, I mean, it's like, you always hear like coaching is kind of the art and science of, you know, application and working with athletes and it totally is. And it's fun. I feel like it's become a very rewarding career um, and a fun journey. And I, I don't know where it will lead or, you know, coaching has really changed too. So it's fun. It's cool. Yeah. Just figuring yeah. it out. <laughs> no, I love that. And I, I do think, you know, there, it's really cool to see so many people now kind of like going between the research and academia and then the real life, because I think the problem used to be, we had sort of the silo of like, here's the research over here. And then you have the people who are actually working with athletes over here. And it didn't really feel like there was like a great connection. And it, sort of felt like the the researchers almost like didn't really know what they were doing when it came to like athletes. So I think it's been really interesting to see. It seems like the research just feels much more actually effective and like usable mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. more people are are doing both things. Yes, I totally agree. And and it has to be that way if we, you know, it just look at like female athlete for example, mm-hmm. you know, there's you you 
listen to any podcast or read a paper and it always concludes with more research is necessary. So that's out there and you've got these groups working on it now. I also think that research is getting more collaborative. So with with coaches and athletes, um, more inclusive in the groups that, you know, they're including in the research studies. And then also it seems like maybe more collaborative among researchers too. So I think that's the way to move forward. And yeah, it's about performance, but it's also about like, you know, quality of life and being heard. So, you know, female athletes for so long have may or maybe, or they may or may not have had success just listening and following general recommendations. And they're Mm -hmm. finding that they don't always work. And now there's a reason why. And so, you know, being heard and being included in the research, I think is, is really good. And I think it's just going to continue to get better. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's kind of like back out and talk about, you know, what's, what's current, what's happening right now in the world of nutrition. I'm going to go with the the negative first though. What's a current fad in endurance sport that you absolutely freaking hate and wish would just stop being a thing? Ah. Uh... Do I have to pick one or can I maybe? Oh, no, you can go off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Could we fill up the whole hour? But um, so one thing like, and this will probably never go away because someone's always trying to sell something. Um, but like the fear mongering and like clean eating and diet culture infiltrating endurance sports. So for example, I cannot stand when like nutrition companies are you know, trying to sell natural sugars or natural products to fuel your training. It's like, okay, sugar is sugar. Um, and it's okay and necessary for performance. Your body is going to process, um, or deal with sugars differently at rest versus during exercise. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that is kind of a pet peeve for me and you you see it over and over again. And, Mm-hmm. You know, even some dietitians will will kind of go down that path. And I, I don't know if it's to gain clients or, you know, make a mark or something. But like, you know, just being controversial sometimes seems like it sells. But yeah. And it feels like that's like that health halo. Like you can make people feel better about consuming a lot of sugar because it's like, quote unquote, natural. But I mean, really, it's it's the same thing at the end. of <laughs> Yeah. Glucose is what is being oxidized. So. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good one. And it's not to say that, you know, like that any, like, or not that any of it, but some of it might even be like fine to use. It's just that it's not better than the other stuff that's like out there. And that's it. Exactly. I mean, uh, I don't, if someone prefers to use that type of product and it works for them, that's fantastic. Yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, you might find someone who has GI problems with that and then they feel like they can't, they don't know. I mean, I get that all the time. People come to me and they're like, is it okay to eat that? Like, and they're just not taking in anything because mm-hmm. they're afraid that it's unhealthy or they're going to become diabetic or something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. I saw another post on like demonizing seed oils the other day from, um, an otherwise reputable reputable source of information. So it's just like kind of unfortunate how that kind of stuff is always going to come to the forefront and be kind of shocking and, you know, it, but it confuses people at the end of the day. 
A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, what we do with our lives. And I still couldn't, like at this point, it, it's all so confusing that I'm always yeah. like terrified to say if anything is good or bad. And then I'm like, well, even the idea of saying something is good or bad. It's context dependent. It is. Oh, no, it is. Definitely. And that, yeah, I think that's, so when you're looking for like who to listen to, you know, anyone who's always going to say something is like good or bad or right or wrong, or, you know, it's always this way and they're not, there's never like, it depends or anything. That's when that's kind of like a red flag to me. I'm like, okay, what, what are you trying to sell? What are you trying to push? Um, Mm -hmm. Because in reality, like it is always context dependent. And do I tell people to eat sugar all the time? Because someone's going to walk away from this podcast saying, oh, that's the dietitian who like says sugar is good for you. No, I mean, no, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like for fueling your exercise in, you know, for certain types of workouts. Yeah, it's it's essential. Um, but in the whole context of diet, like I'm always going to suggest athletes uh, evaluate their whole diet because you might be exercising for 45 minutes a day, you know, or three to four hours a day, but the rest of what you eat and the rest of those hours is super important for your health and longevity. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, you have to think about all of it in context. Yeah. Yeah. I always say if I have an expert on here that doesn't use the phrase, it depends in the entire podcast, I'm like, I don't really trust them. So as long as they drop, it depends into at least a couple things. Okay. That's true. And it, (laughs) it can be a frustrating answer for people, but when you think about it, like it gives you a lot of room for, you know, kind of like thinking about yourself and how, how does something apply to you? And then you can say, okay, well, it's okay if I'm not the average, if I'm an outlier, like one end of the bell curve or the other, um, because it does, it's very dependent on a lot of factors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Any other current fads that you. So yeah, something like the super high electrolyte drinks for everybody, just like I think all the time, all day, every day, it seems like is. Yeah. Like really high concentration electrolyte drinks. Like why? I don't know. Um, And some people are using them in place of sports drinks. Um, It's like the, like all of a sudden, like the new, like wellness cure all. But I don't think that, I mean, you have to think about why endurance athletes need electrolytes, specifically sodium, which is the main electrolyte lost in sweat. And I think what people don't understand is, you know, when you're sweating and you're losing sweat, your body is trying to cool itself. So you're losing primarily fluid with some amount of sodium in there. Um, Some salty sweaters who replace a lot of fluids will also need to replace some sodium. But for the most part, especially like in running and stuff, when you're not out there for hours and hours and hours, you're not actually going to lose that much and or replace enough that you might be hyponatremic. So, I mean, I think a lot of people are overdoing the electrolytes because they are being told to by companies making drinks and supplements. For sure. Yeah. No, it's funny. I keep hearing more and more ads on podcasts for a couple of different electrolyte drinks and I won't like name names, mm-hmm. but yeah, it does seem like we're, we're actually taking them outside of sport and we're just talking about like, oh yes, all day, instead of drinking just water, be drinking this, you know, this electrolyte thing. And I'm like, I mean, I already eat a lot of salt. 
Right. Like, let's be clear. I eat yeah. probably far too much on my food, but that's who I am as a person. Um, and I imagine most people are getting plenty of sodium in most of their meals. Like they probably don't need to be sitting down to a meal with an electrolyte beverage in addition to their like sandwich. That's right. Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, it's always safer to salt your food. It, I agree with you. It helps it taste way better. Um, and there's a reason like our our brains have a sodium appetite, just like you you have other cravings, um, just like you have hunger and thirst. So, so listen to that. And yeah, I mean, I don't know how many years ago everyone was concerned about like too much sodium in the diet. Now I feel like we've gone on to the other end, but mm-hmm. we're using drinks and spending a lot of money for them. So yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. It is weird. Yeah. Like as a teenager, I remember seeing, you know, like how to do less sodium. And there were all of these like potassium iodide, like fake salts that were available. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, now we've, we've actually like, you never hear the electrolytes referred to as like sodium drink. It's always electrolyte drink where it's like, we have a little bit of potassium, a little bit of magnesium in there just to take away from the fact that it's, it's just salt in your water. That's, that's all there is to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And and probably a lot of people buying them are not sweating enough or drinking enough water to compensate for that. So that's a little bit scary. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Any other ones that you hate that are popping up in your head? Well, this one, um, we did touch on female athlete. And I think, I mean, we can all agree that there's just not been enough research done to date, not comparing to the research done on, you know, especially trained male cyclists or male athletes. Um, So when I hear these very specific recommendations for female athletes on how to um, change your diet or how to change your training, whether it's endurance training or strength training um, based on your cycle, I just, the evidence is not there. Um, We can't like... I think, again, there's like people who are trying to um, capitalize on this idea of, okay, yeah, women are different than men, um, you know, for several physiological reasons, hormone driven, but we still don't know enough of those differences to say, this is exactly what you need to be doing at every phase of your cycle or during menopause. And so I think let's just leave it as, yes, we know there are differences, but we still have to treat each individual athlete as an individual. Um, yes. You might have, you know, different experiences in the luteal phase than I do. Um, and and that's okay. And that's normal. But like, not all women are the same either. Mm-hmm. So. No, I completely agree. And I mean, it's, there's just so many other factors that, kind of need to be considered if you're thinking about training as a whole, you know, like when your race is and all of that kind of stuff. So to just plan training entirely based on your cycle just seems like very silly to me if you're, especially if you're an endurance athlete training towards a specific goal. Mm -hmm. Not only that, like, like, let's not forget there are so many women and I always include myself in this who like don't necessarily have a normal cycle or are using Mm -hmm. birth control and that changes it. So, I mean, it's a very like it's a very small group that are actually cycling like perfectly normally. That's a whole other conversation, but yes, <laughs> yeah. it just seems very like targeted at like this very few women who 
like have no hormonal birth control are cycling in like 28 day cycles and like mm-hmm. yes of course we can time those like no problem like it just seems yeah i mean i think the best thing an athlete can do regardless of you know of cycle or or gender or whatever is take notes and like you know make notes of what is happening with sleep with menstrual cycle with stress with diet with training keep a really detailed training log and you know either if you're self-coached or you're working with a coach or a coaching team like look for trends there Mm -hmm. try to use data but also you know those subjective feelings are super important and and the notes are really valuable so you can go back to try to you know figure out what works for you yeah that's ultimately really important. I mean, regardless of like what research is doing over here. hundred percent. Yeah. The subjective data is actually a huge, like uh hill I'm willing to die on soapbox. I keep standing on lately because it feels like so many people have, everyone's really tired of me saying this, but it feels like everyone's farmed out how they feel to various like apps and devices. So they just like have to check their phone to see how they're feeling any given day. And I'm like, no, like that might be great information. But could you also like think about how you actually like think that you feel and maybe see if those two things line up? Like, just oh man, you're, you're so, yeah, that. I 100% agree. So, yes, definitely. I love the the subjective training data. I think that's so, so important alongside of the objective stats. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And okay. Trends that you actually like right now. Is there anything good happening? Yeah. Oh, for sure. So one, um, I, people are eating more during training. Yeah. I have noticed a real shift and I don't know exactly how long it's been, but I, I can tell the difference when I have athletes come to me. I have less people trying to fast during their rides or do fasted training or intermittent fasting and more people saying, I'm taking in 90 grams of carbs an hour or I'm trying to do 110 grams of carbs an hour or something like that. So people are eating. And I think it's because they are noticing the the benefit of it um they they are able to to train longer and harder and recover faster they're they're just overall in a better state um and so that's pretty cool and i think having access to data has probably influenced us a little bit so they can see their power data um you know some a smaller percentage of athletes are using continuous glucose monitors and you know i think to some degree being able to see that and reinforce the need or the benefit of carbohydrate, um, during riding or running or whatever, um, Mm -hmm. has helped. And so, you know, for some people who need that external validation, then that's great. Um, but I have noticed that as a benefit, um, or as a positive thing, I guess, in, in athletes who I work with. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. The fear around eating during training seems to have subsided slightly. And I'm going to, I'd maybe even go out on a limb and say part of it is, I mean, in the past, like, let's say 10 years, the options have gotten so much better for what you can eat during training. So for me, like I remember 10 years ago, there was like nothing on the market that wouldn't make my gut just like, just not great. But now there's a few different, like great options that I can, you know, eat or drink and like feel totally fine. And part of that's probably just my guts finally been trained after, you know, 20 years of doing this, but I think part of it's like the options have just gotten better. Yeah, I know. I totally agree. I mean, 
there are so many options. Um, and ranging from like, even just in gels and the gel mm-hmm. format, you know, there's a million, I feel like, and then the drinks have gotten really good too. Um, yeah. So I think that's part of it. Um, <laughs> I have a fair amount of people who come to me and they're making their own sports drinks too, which, you know, I don't want to deal with that. I'd rather just go by scratch or whatever, but, um, yeah, so, so definitely a change in, um, mindset, you know, in fueling mindset. So that's, that's been great. Um, what else? I, I might have some other ones. Um, indoor training. I feel like that's something that I never would have done before. I mm-hmm. think like if I had to travel for work, I would like ride the spin bike or run on the treadmill, but like Swift has really, um, for me and a lot of people I know, like also kind of been a game changer, um, because it just helps if you just have to get it done and you don't have a lot of time, like I don't have much time to train anymore. You can just like knock it out and get in a good quality workout. There's races, there's group rides, you know, you have like, you can feel like you're riding with people. So I think that's been a positive thing in the endurance world as well. Um, yeah, I think it's been a huge change, especially I'm going to argue for women, the like availability of Zwift and stuff. I think for, you know, women who are sort of working that like third shift where you also are sort of at home with kids and like, you don't really have the option of going out for like a six hour ride, but you can do a really hard hour workout now and actually like be racing people. Yeah. Like you can literally Mm -hmm. like get a race in, in your basement or in your garage. Like that's, it's in a lot of ways democratized sport, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is super cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I used to look at running like that too. Just, I would kind of do it out of necessity because it was a lot more time efficient to just get in something, um, which I still believe. And I love running, you know, for other reasons too, but, um, yeah, I've definitely like changed my tune on the whole indoor training Zwift thing this year. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. I've had a a fair, a similar feeling, even though I still won't actually commit to doing it whenever, whenever humanly possible, I'm going to get outside, but absolutely. Yeah. I did. I actually, it's funny, January, I got on Zwift for the first time ever, which is hilarious as like a cycling journalist. It took me this long and I was like, oh, this is what the fuss is about. Okay. Actually really problematic for me because I'm a competitive jerk. So like I'm supposed to be doing an easy ride and here I am like (laughs) trying to race everyone. Like someone passes me and I'm like, oh, hell no. So it was not good. My coach was not happy about it, but (laughs) it was very fun. Yeah. I know you have to kind of learn how to use it for, for good, but yeah, yeah. I know I get it. <laughs> um, so actually maybe this is a bit of a shift or maybe it's not a shift when people are coming to you for coaching. I'm just really curious what, what's sort of like the usual thing that they, maybe that they say they want. And then what it seems like they actually want, because this is something that, you know, we're kind of always talking about. Is it, you know, are people wanting to improve power or is weight loss still a big thing for sort of the, the amateur recreational cyclists? Like, what do you think people are actually looking for when they come for coaching? Yeah, most people. So I have this form and it gives them like check boxes. Like what are, you know, what are they kind of looking for? I think everybody checks. I want to lose weight. Um, If it's not a hundred percent, it's pretty darn close. Mm -hmm. Um, But upon meeting with them, everyone wants to get faster um, or fitter or faster, you know, ultimately faster. So sometimes that weight loss looks like um, 
a significant amount, but really that's not too common um, in the people I work with. Most people are like, okay, through the pandemic, I, you know, put on a few pounds and I just want to get rid of it. Or, you know, we've had kids in the last few years, everything's changed. I can't train as much. I am up all night. Like I just need to lose a few pounds, but, but it's not the focus. Um, the focus is, you know, they want to do better in their races or, um, yeah, just like, like generally be faster and fitter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's all, you know, for, for people, it's hard, it's hard to kind of like separate the two. Um, but that's what I do with yeah. people. Yeah. No, I like that. And I mean, this sort of leads into, I'm actually working on a piece right now about power to weight. And this is one of those things that's like super interesting that we, you know, kind of can't get away from as cyclists. And I think even more so now with Zwift, like literally like, you, you know, on Zwift, you are measured by your power to weight. Um, so I think it's made that, that used to be a thing that you only talked about in terms of pros, but now everyone sort of knows their, their numbers. And I think everyone's immediate reaction is like, oh, if I drop 10 pounds, that's going to raise my power to weight. But that comes at a, a pretty big cost. So how would you think about uh, improving power to weight if that's what someone came to you for? Yeah, um, I do. I do. That is something a lot of people ask about. And it's interesting that you mentioned Zwift. And I think that is a big driver behind it. Um, because, yeah, you know, you have some people doing like climbing specific races and events, but a lot of a lot of people racing on Zwift. So I'm not a weight loss dietitian or doctor. So, you know, like that being said, um, primarily like first when I meet with an athlete who has kind of talked about or alluded to some of this stuff, you know, we discuss the elements of performance and sometimes it just requires better nutrition habits and better training or coaching. And so with just focusing on those elements, weight loss is a side benefit. So especially if they just have a few pounds um, that they want to lose, then um, just building in better nutrition habits, better fueling, healthier overall habits, like get them to focus on the right things um, versus a lot of people will be so restrictive in their intake. So it's compromising their training. Mm -hmm. um, and then they're making up for it later when, uh, when it's not ideal and their food choices at that point are, um, you know, less intentional, I'll just say. And so they end up in this like cycle. So it's really just focusing on, on some timing, some good making, you know, good decisions for fueling and, and nutrition overall. Sometimes if intentional weight loss makes sense, like if they really, sh you know, would benefit from, um, significant weight loss, then I find out like, where are, where are they now in the context of like, where has their weight been in the past? What is their weight history? What is their goal? Why are they trying to get to this goal? Um, mm -hmm. you know, how quickly did they put on the weight and what led to that? If there were, if they were able to lose weight in the past, like how did they do it? And chances are they did it in a restrictive manner and it just wasn't sustainable. And so now they've rebounded and come to me. Um, so yeah, that's, I don't work with a lot of people who come to me just for weight loss. I mean, yeah. usually the, the focus is on performance. And so we can kind of redirect and use good nutrition, fueling and training principles to help get them to where they want to be. And it sort of just all clicks. And that's like, 
fantastic when it works out like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a, it's not a fast process either. Like this is a very like over months, over years kind of thing. We're not talking like next week, your power is just going to right through the roof. No. Yeah, you're right. It's a like weight. And I will say specifically body fat loss is, and should be a very slow process. Um, I've said this before, but like the goal is to lose as slowly as possible, eating as much as possible, um, or some variation of that. Um, but you need to fuel, um, and eating is not just all about fueling, but in the context of performance and training, you can't compromise that piece. So you want to continue to progress in your training, um, and be able to perform. So you need to eat and, you know, it's not, I never, uh, rarely, you know, take a restrictive approach. Um, it's just all about, you know, feeling for what you need to do and then, um, cutting back where, where you can. So, you know, and that just is improving habits and usually cutting back is just people go to eat, like seeking out, um, high reward foods when they've been over restricted for a while, but, you know, moderation isn't fun to think about, but really when you allow yourself to eat, um, when you want to, when you're hungry and eat things that you are enjoy eating, then it all sort of like just works out beautifully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. The like Zwift power to weight has actually gotten like even, even wilder because now there are these like indoor triathlon things where I don't know if you saw like they were actually like act like there were a few triathletes that were actively like cutting like they were like getting ready for a boxing match because they were doing this like indoor triathlon thing so they were doing the full-on like sauna suit to drop the like 10 pounds pre-race so when they weighed in their power to weight would actually be higher for when they got on the bike which is hilarious to me and like very scary but mainly hilarious because I don't think anyone's like oh I should do that but it's just like a really comical like this measure, even though it is this very objective thing, like it's also like kind of silly at the end of the day. Yeah, that is crazy. I mean, I guess those races are super short then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it was like how the UFC does it, where it's like the weigh in the night before. So then you can quickly yeah. rehydrate, which is again, hilarious to me. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've worked with some of those athletes in the past. Um, it's, it's a different whole different ball game. I mean, I primarily am working with endurance athletes now, so do not recommend that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Please don't wear the sauna suit to drop weight for your power to weight for your Zwift race. No. It's not worth it. No. <laughs> okay. You mentioned the word moderation. And what mm-hmm. I really wanted to ask you about is alcohol and athletes and what we need to know. Like what's, what's the current vibe? I feel like Alcohol has just been like a very like hot button issue in the past few months. I mean, especially in January, but it still seems to be like pretty trending right now. So yeah, where, where do you think about that? Or how do you think about it? Yeah. I mean, okay. Don't get me wrong. I, I love a beer and like a glass of wine now and then it's really more and more research is coming out that regular intake just isn't really recommended. It's not, um, It's not healthy in the way that, you know, we used to think having one or two drinks a day is like good for your heart. And, you know, there's more and more studies that are linking regular alcohol intake with higher health risks. 
Um, for the athlete, it's, you know, I, I won't ever tell someone that they should not drink. Um, but I will indicate that regular intake is probably not in your best interest. Um, it can impact recovery from training. It can absolutely impact sleep quality, um, which is important for, for, uh, recovery and, you know, so many other things, including, making good food choices and overall stress and um, just being on top of your game. And uh, it can inf- interfere with hydration. Um, but so I think, you know, if you are going to have a beer, which just tastes really good after a long ride or a long run or, um, you know, after a race, like it's fun. Right. And it's for a lot of athletes, it's just kind of part of the experience and, and that's okay. Um, I think there's things like I would, I would do it less often, you know, if you find yourself just having it as part of your post exercise or training or race routine, then, um, maybe take a look at that and and dial it back a little bit. Um, also take a look at how many you're drinking and what Mm -hmm. you're drinking. So lower alcohol is definitely better. I mean, there's been actually a little bit of research on alcoholic drinks that are like under 4% um, can be a little bit better and not mess with hydration as much. Um, there have been a lot of non-alcoholic beverages added to the market in the um, last few years. So, you know, if that's something that you like the taste of, that would be a better choice. Yeah, so, I would yeah, say like I mean, the number of non-alcoholic beers now is like, like, honestly, you could pretty much get away with not drinking beer and like never miss it because there's so many good non-alcoholic beers. I have yet to find a good non-alcoholic wine, though. I do have to say that. <laughs> yeah, I haven't looked. Um, I've tried a few and like, oh, they are not good. Probably really sweet. Yeah, really sweet or just like re- actually sweet or really sour, like where it's just like, oh, this grape juice went really bad, but not in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, no, that doesn't sound good. I mean, like, I'm going to California, and I promise you I'll be going to some wineries and drinking some really good wine, and that's okay. Um, But it's not, like, a regular habit, and Mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, I don't know. Like, what do you think? Well, I think, actually, the word habit is sort of where I fall on it, is that Mm -hmm. that alcohol shouldn't be a habit. Like, it can be a thing. Like, yeah, I will happily enjoy a glass of wine or a beer, but I like make it a point to not have it be a habitual thing at any point. Like it's never a like must have or like, oh, after every I like it's it is like when it is, I guess. Um, but it's it's hard because I think, you know, we we sort of know that the correct answer is like the less you drink, the better, like probably yeah. don't drink like that's that's probably your your best thing. But at the same time, like I also like, you know, living and enjoying things. So I still enjoy yeah. my, my wine. Um, totally. Uh, and I think when you look at the research on alcohol, like it's, it's a little bit different because they are, they're giving people drinks every day for, you know, 10 days to four weeks or whatever. And that's not really realistic either. Um, so I think my, um, colleague and I wrote a blog post on this, I think last year, but I think we ultimately, you know, came out with a takeaway that if you're going to drink, like make it low alcohol, get your recovery hydration in and your nutrition first. Um, and 
Yeah. Eat yeah. plenty of salty carbohydrates with it. So you're not impairing the rehydration process. Yes. And that's like, it's funny. We just did an episode on like post-race things to think about. And I said, you know, post-race beer, if that's your thing, fine, but please drink something else before it. That should not be the first thing that goes in your body post-race. Mm-hmm. Just no one, no one's going to be happy. Um, so I was actually talking to a lot of different experts about, you know, wearables for an article I was working on. So, you know, whoops and order rings and all that. And they were, I think every person was like, yeah, I didn't really need to be told that alcohol doesn't improve my recovery, but that's pretty much like the one thing that all of these wearables will tell you, uh, if you're honest with them and tell them when you've been drinking, which is the the key to making any of them work. Getting back to that subjective yeah. data, you have to admit what you've done for it to, <laughs> yeah. to get any actual results. You really want to know the truth. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But that was pretty much like every wearable across the board will just tell you like, yeah, you don't recover as well with alcohol. Shocker. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or sleep. Yeah. And that's really what it's good at measuring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, I wanted to bring that up because I, I had read your blog post. So I knew you had, you had a bit more of a nuance. Like it's not a, it's not a super clear cut, like right, wrong, like can't possibly drink ever again kind of mentality on it. So I like this, this very nuanced version. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you have to be honest with like, you know, read the room. I mean, endurance athletes, it's like pretty common to, you know, get done with a long run or a long ride or a race and have a beer or, you know, meet up at a brewery after a ride or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, like we were just saying, it's totally fine. Occasionally, it's just part of like enjoying life and having a little bit of fun. Um, but yeah, when it when it's part of your like, you've got your recovery drink and your beer, and <laughs> maybe yeah, you want to reevaluate. Um, yeah, what your routine looks like. If you feel like it's become a routine or a habit, it's time to reevaluate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably the the best boiled down. Thing. Yeah. Um, all right. And we've mentioned it a couple of times. You now have two kiddos. You still have dogs. I mean, how do you, how has your training itself, like, and actually even nutrition too, because I think this is something that we don't talk about enough. Um, it's a lot easier to like, you know, cook really nutritious and eat really nutritious stuff when you don't have, you know, tiny people that are demanding attention slash want to eat this thing or are only eating white things right now or you know, that kind of thing. So how has, uh, how have you had to kind of like shift things to, to deal with a very full household? Yeah. Um, I will always have a love for like endurance sports and going long. And that is very hard in my current, um, state with, uh, eight month old and a three and a half year old and work. I work a ton. Like I'm, I feel like I'm always working, but, um, I've had to really just like be okay with doing one hour workouts and some days 45 minutes. And, you know, it's just like, it is what it is. It's better than nothing. And so I do rely on running a little bit more on Zwift a little bit more than I normally would. Um, I just don't have the hours in the day to go drive to a trailhead or drive to the mountains and do, you know, a three hour ride. Um, and it's, you know, I have had to work really hard to not compare myself, especially my postpartum journey and return to exercise with other moms. Um, it just, I think 
every mom or dad too, like every parent would agree that you have to have support and everyone's going to have some different type of support or level of support. And, and that's, it is what it is. You know, I'm fortunate to have, um, some, but I also like just have a lot going on. And so I can't, you know, I can't just check out, you know, for three to six hours a day and let someone else take care of my kids. Like it just doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, I am still hopeful that I'll make it to a start line someday. (laughs) Uh, right now I just sort of do it for enjoyment and fun because I truly do love it. I'm, I feel like less competitive than I used to be. Um, I feel like if I were to go do a race now, it would be really just for the cool vibe of the event, catch up with people who I haven't seen in a long time, like you, mm-hmm. and, you know, just hit some personal goals, really. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Do you think that is just from having kids or do you think that's just from being in the sport world for, for a long time? Because this is something even I'm kind of coming to terms with where I realize like racing actually isn't really what makes me tick or what makes me want to train anymore. Like I pretty much train to train. Yeah, I know. It's funny. And I do hear other, other athletes talking about this too. And I think for so long, like I don't know if it for me was like imposter syndrome or um, like I it was a little bit stressful, like, you know, being on a team and having expectations, whether they were my expectations or, you know, perceived expectations Mm -hmm. of someone else onto me, the whole deal with like sponsors and and results. And I don't know, you know, like writing blog posts and and like podium photos and all that stuff. It's just like. I don't know. I feel like it kind of took the fun out of it. And maybe other people feel like that too. And so now I've kind of been forced to not be able to do that versus I, maybe I would have found my way here anyway without kids, but that is interesting. Yeah. Like I have one race on the calendar this year and everyone keeps saying like, well, what are you going to do after? I'm like, like literally the same thing I'm doing right now, but I won't have to be stressed that I have a race in one month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be great. I'm very excited for that point. Um, so yeah, it's a very interesting sp- like time to to be kind of like c- struggling with, we'll say, because I'm I'm not sure that I really do still enjoy racing, like, but I really love the training, and yeah. maybe that's and okay. That's, An improvement. It's, it's, it's totally not like okay. it's not like I'm saying like oh I just you know I'm okay with if, if I get slow or you know what no I want to keep getting faster and I want to improve. I just maybe don't need that external validation of it. I just like doing it for me. I think that's it. I mean, I look at events I want to do now and it would be like, like BC bike race is something that's always kind of been on my radar because like when else would I go ride there, be able to experience the best riding in that part of the country with full support? Like, I don't know. I mean, I hopefully wouldn't get lost. And so that's like when I'm looking at events now, I'm looking at, okay, like how pretty is it? Is it a destination? Well, do I have to plan out the routes or can I just like go ride the good stuff or go ride the good stuff? Um, And is it like, are other cool people going? Is it a good vibe? Is it fun to hang out? And that's what I'm looking for Mm -hmm. when I finally make it somewhere. I actually did sign up for a race this event or this fall. I don't, I'm not considering it a race. Um, It's a gravel event and it just sounds like really fun and laid back. So that'll be cool. 
Well, maybe we'll have to we'll have to talk offline about what year you do BCBR because it's it's high on our bucket list too. So all right, yeah. And nice. you know what? There are a lot of I know there are quite a few people who actually bring their kids out and stuff too. So like they have the whole family out there. So I mean, yeah, you could you could make it a whole family affair. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like that that's kind of where I am at this stage of my life. <laughs> yeah. That's that's understandable. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you know, okay. Last, last like rapid fire here is if an athlete knows that they want to improve their nutrition to improve on the bike, what are just like a few of the small things you would tell them to focus on or large things, obvious things, what should they be thinking about? So first meet your carb needs for training and performance. Um, the, if you are going to, um, eat lower carbohydrate. I mean, some people just like how they feel on a lower carb diet. So, you know, more heavily eating proteins and fats and maybe like a lot of vegetables for their, um, carbs, which, you know, that's fine, but do that on lower intensity days. If you are doing a long, long ride or run or interval training or something like that, you need carbs. And so, timing it. So you're getting them around the workout or the race. So before, during, and after, um, Mm -hmm. is one thing making sure you're getting adequate protein. Um, and so for an endurance athlete, that's like average 1.6 to 1.8 grams per kilogram per day, spread it out evenly over the course of the day. I'm sure you've heard this, you know, a bunch of times, but you know, that helps with, muscle protein synthesis. It helps avoid muscle protein breakdown. All of that obviously is important with, um, just like, you know, adaptation, avoiding injury, but protein is essential for every, you know, cell in your body. So, um, for your immune health, um, hormones, like everything. Um, Mm -hmm. so making sure you're getting enough protein, especially if you avoid eating animal protein, a lot of people avoid dairy. So, you know, making sure taking a good look at your diet and and making sure you're getting that. Um, eating a lot of micronutrient dense foods. So fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds and whole grains. Instead of looking to a supplement, you know, for high concentrations of any of these vitamins or minerals or polyphenols, like eat real food, but eat a high variety of micronutrient dense foods. Fiber Mm -hmm. is also really good, especially if you're spending a lot of hours during the week training and eating the, the processed sports nutrition products, like really focus on the quality of your fresh food intake. Um, Ooh, I think that's a really good point. And that kind of comes back to what we've sort of first talked about is like, yeah, like you need that, that rocket fuel on your, your ride, but definitely making sure that you are balancing it out with the good stuff off the bike too. I think it's yeah. such a yeah. good point. Yeah. Yes. Um, and like that, I think when you do it right, it makes you feel, or the people who are like kind of trying to avoid the sugar during exercise, like it kind of helps show them that they're, they can have some sort of balance. So you have like you're avoiding the GI issues, um, you know, by not eating a ton of like vegetables before you go out for a run or something. So you can eat a little bit more refined carbohydrate before fuel with your sports nutrition products during, and then recover with real food and eat like, you know, real food throughout the day. 
Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. a nice balance. Um, and I guess the last thing would be like, don't underestimate how stress and poor sleep can impact your your diet and your overall like well being. Um, it's all kind of connected with our you know hormones and and just we're a, we're a system, and so everything you know will especially sleep. It's like one of the biggest drivers and stress too, um, for just like being in a catabolic state or making better or less, you know, desirable food eating decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, just like, I don't know, like if something like a wearable or, um, someone else's like nutrition advice is like causing you too much stress, then it's not worth it. Like go back to reducing stress in your life and, and focusing on like just good decision-making and, you know, kindness to yourself. Like some people get so stressed out about like everything that they just either like paralyzed and like don't want to eat or just like eat whatever. And that's it, right? The stress can come all the way around. And like, instead of actually like acting on the, like doing the healthy stuff, you actually end up so stressed that you're like, ah, screw it. And <laughs> just going completely in the opposite direction. So that's, yeah, could not yes. agree more. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, before we wrap this up, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can get in touch, all of the things. Um. Okay. So Instagram is probably the easiest. I'm at Namrita Brooke on Instagram. My link to my website is up there in my bio. Um, I also run a account with a friend of mine inside sports nutrition on Instagram. If you want some free endurance athlete specific nutrition content, um, we try to update it fairly often, but we're both busy. <laughs> um, there's a lot you can sift through there. And then, um, if you're interested in any group coaching for nutrition and or cycling or both, um, join basecamp.com is where I coach that. Perfect. Oh, thank you so much, Namrita. This was super fun catching up with you and yeah, really kind of digging into some of these more nuanced topics. So thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Thanks for asking. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox. 